Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Hidden Truths. And today we have Bob Barrows, who is going to speak about Fed transparency and market volatility. Hi, Bob. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Market isn't, but I am. The market is having some fun, right? Yes. So tell us about that. The Fed raised rates by 75 basis points during their last meeting. That's what the market expected, it looks like. Why have market interest rates been so volatile since then? The Fed did announce the, the expected 75 basis point rate hike at their September meeting. But what that took the market by surprise was the implied 125 basis point rate hikes the new dot plot showed for year end. The dot plot is the forecasts of the 13 members of the Federal Open Market Committee. That's the rate setting body of the Fed. And it's the forecast of what each of those 13 individuals thinks interest rates will be in 2022, 2023, 2024, and 2025. The dot plot, that's what it's called, showed that they are going to hike rates by 125 basis points. That's one and a quarter percentage points before the end of 2022. They have two more meetings, one in November and one in December. And so we expect them now to raise rates by 75 basis points or three quarters of a percentage point in November and a half a percentage point in December. If one follows this stuff, the dot plots, we would look and we would see that the last time they did the dot plot, the peak was three and three quarters percent, and now it's four and a half. That's the 75 extra basis points that the Fed added in its last meeting. The new dots now peak over four and a half percent. What is noteworthy is that the 2024 dot plot, this is the consensus of each of the dots of each of the 13 FOMC members have no consensus at all. And they range from 2.6 to 4.6 and similar for 2025. So this indicates no consensus among the FOMC members with those high, those in the high range, not seeing the current softening and in inflation that we have or the oncoming recession. What's amazing is that the Fed also released its GDP forecast, and that was pared down from 1.7% growth for 2022 to 0.2. That's a big decline. That's their way of telling us that we're going to have a recession. And since that meeting, because they intend to raise rates and told us so, the dollar gets stronger. Why is that? Our interest rates are higher than those in the rest of the world. So other people in the rest of the world want to buy our treasury bonds. And when they do so, they have to convert their currencies to dollars. And that, that increases the demand for dollars and increases the supply of their currencies the dollar goes up in price. It's like any other demand and supply. That makes sense. I don't recall the fixed income markets reacting so violently in the prior business cycles. Can you shed some light on why we now have such so much an interest rates volatility? 
We do. It's much more volatile today than it was prior to 2012. And that's because prior to 2012, the Fed never, ever discussed its views with the market. Those 13 FOMC members were tight-lipped about what transpired in Fed meetings. They never had press conferences where they talked about what their views were. And there were no post-meeting press conferences like there is today where they questioned the chairman. All the market knew back then was what the Fed actually did. Did they raise rates? Did they lower rates? And that's it. They didn't have any concept of what the future held. Today, we have the communication of those individual Federal Open Market Committee member, their rate forecast, that's the dot plot. Now let's look at the dot plot. Since they started doing it in 2012, those forecasts have a 37% accuracy rate. That's pretty poor. However, today's market views those dot plots as gospel and the market immediately moves to the median of the forecasts. So even though the Fed raised rates to 3%, the market's at four and a half because that's where the dot plot says it should be or where it's going. Funny, Chair Powell insists that each Fed meeting is dependent on incoming data, not what's shown in the dot plot. Nevertheless, this transparency, the dot plot, causes volatility as the markets immediately repriced to the new dot plot. The system was much less volatile when there was no transparency. And I think it would be better to return to that non-transparent system. Mm. But that's just me. Yeah, you've talked about this before. Yeah, that's not something that we haven't heard from you already. So let's talk about inflation, as that seems to be why the Fed has embarked on this rate hiking process. What's your viewpoint on that? I think the Fed is driving the train by looking through the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. That is, they're looking at past inflation, most of which I think was caused by the supply chain issues. So yes, today's year-over-year CPI inflation, that's August 2021 to August 2022. That number is 8.2%. That's looking at the past. July's inflation rate was minus 0.1%, and August's was just plus 0.1%. And so taken together, July and August are 0%. So over the last two months, we've had no inflation. And the inflation was caused both by supply issues, most of which have been resolved by now, and by the huge fiscal response, $7 trillion dollars, over the last year of spending when they sent people free money. That caused demand to grow while businesses were in lockdown, not making products, so supply shrunk. So that's over, at least for the foreseeable future. There's a lot of evidence pointing to signs of easing price pressures. The point here is that the Fed is looking at the past instead of at the future. Can you point to some examples of easing price pressures? Sure. Everybody that drives a gasoline-powered car knows that gas prices have come down, and prices fell of gasoline fell 9% in August, and they continued to fall in September. Natural gas prices have stabilized, well, at least for now. 
this situation is as sticky as Europe is importing all kinds of liquid natural gas to take the place of the Russian gas that's now not flowing at all because of the sabotage to the Nord Stream pipeline. But the natural gas prices, at least for now, have stabilized. And we've also seen significant declines in commodity prices, and those include grains, dairy products, and other agricultural prices. Those declines should soon feed through to prices at the grocery store. Used vehicles, they have been the poster child for the inflation because they were the first prices to rise in this inflation environment. They led on the upside, and now they're falling significantly. We see that at the auctions, the used vehicle prices are are way down. We've also seen dramatic improvements in the supply chain, and that's evidenced by the regional feds, all of whom show easing prices in the supply chain. Yeah, how about rents? A lot of people speak about rents as well as airline ticket prices, right? Yes, rents are an issue. They're going to continue to put upward pressure on the official CPI for a few more months. And that's only because of the antiquated way in which the Bureau of Labor Statistics collects the data. In the private sector, we have already seen rental rates decline or at least start to decline. Let's talk about the services. Some of the services, especially really sensitive ones like travel, those categories, including hotels and airlines, we've seen some price declines recently, especially for the airlines as the fuel prices have come down. Any other indicators that you can talk about? The economists know that something called inflation expectations is really important. If people expect prices to rise, then when they do rise, it's okay with them. If they don't expect prices to rise and they rise, they might resist buying. So expectations are really important. Today's expectations are very well anchored. And even according to Chairman Jerome Powell, one-year inflation expectations are below 2%. They're 1.8%. And the five-year expectations are 2.2%. So that's quite well anchored. We don't really see them going too much below those numbers. Incoming data also confirms my view that inflation is going to subside soon. I expect that we're going to see both headline and core inflation fall more quickly in the coming months than what the Fed thinks is going to happen. Interesting. One of Fed Charles Powell's favorite indicators is the labor market, right? It appears quite strong right now. Do you agree with that? I find that the payroll data is just hard to swallow. It's very inconsistent. On a not seasonally adjusted basis, this is the raw data. Year-to-date through September, payrolls have risen 2.7 million. They do what is called seasonal adjustment. And seasonal adjustment corrects for stuff within the year. And everybody knows that, for example, retail sales in November and December go through the roof because of the holidays. The non-seasonally adjusted data was 2.7 million year to date. The seasonally adjusted data is 3.8 million year to date. That's a huge 1.1 million difference. Now the market looks at the seasonally adjusted data. So they're looking at the 3.8 million. 
Nazis in the adjusted data because in 1.1 million lower, theoretically, the seasonally adjusted data when you add it up and the non-seasonally adjusted data when you add it up for the whole year are supposed to be equal. That would imply that we're going to see October, November, and December data minus 367,000. That's not going to happen. October 7th, we had the employment report and it was positive 263,000. That's seasonally adjusted. Why am I so skeptical of this? We have this 1.1 million discrepancy. I promise you we're not going to see it in the next three months. Then how do they do this? Every month they make revisions all the way back to January. And that's because of the way they do the seasonal adjustment process. Every month the seasonal factors change, which is not logical, but that's the way they do it. They actually make changes every single month to the data all the way back to January every month. So this month they made changes to all of the data, August, July, June, May, etc. Okay, but they only tell the public what they changed for last month. And in a footnote to their publication, the footnote says they do that because they don't want to quote unquote, confuse the public. I say, give me a break. Yeah. But in February of each year, they make all the revised data public. So in next February, we'll see all the revised data from January to December for 2022. I will tell you by that time, nobody cares. So the labor market, in my view, is simply not as robust as the payroll data would have you believe. Um, in fact, the Fed itself sees the unemployment rate rising to 4.4% in 2023. Okay, what is it today? Today's rate was 3.5. That means in the next three months, the Fed thinks that the unemployment rate's gonna go up almost a whole percentage point. And that really implies recession. I think it's really overly optimistic to believe that the employment, the labor market is that strong. And ultimately, I think the unemployment rate is going to get into the 5% range. The latest data, and this is important. This is Chairman Powell's favorite survey. It's called the JOLTS. It's the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, and it comes out every month. In August, the number of jobs available fell 1.1 million or by 10%. And it fell from 11.2 million in July to 10.1 million in August. That's the second fastest fall on record, only beaten by the fall in the first month of the pandemic in April of 2020. We have August's numbers for Joel's. It's now October. And I imagine September's jolts numbers will continue to show deterioration. Yeah, yeah, wow. So FedEx recently reported its second quarter results, and they seem to have missed by a lot. What's your view on that? Yeah, FedEx, which is surely the heartbeat of the economy, they did drop a bomb last week. Earnings were $3.44 a share, and the markets were expecting $5.10. That's a big miss. Right. The company noted a significant drop in traffic, and they indicated that they would be closing locations and reducing staff. This means commerce is slowing significantly, 
and people have stopped sending packages or buying stuff that FedEx delivers. Wow. Yeah, interesting. You have written extensively about housing. Love to speak about housing because so many people have questions on that. Can you discuss some of your findings? Housing is the most interest-sensitive sector that we have in the economy. Its performance is like a precursor to other economic sectors. In just a few months, housing has gone from being on fire to being in the dumpster. Existing home sales, they fell in August 0.4%, are down seven months in a row, and are now 20% below where they were a year ago. The median price is 6% below last March's peak, and the expectation is that inventory of homes for sale is going to decline. Why? Because families who have homes with 3% mortgage rates, they won't be looking to sell and upgrade with uh, mortgage rates now at, at or above 7%. Mm -hmm. There's something called pending home sales. Existing home sales are actual transactions or closings. Pending home sales are new contracts. So they're not closed yet. They're just contracts that are signed. They fell 2% in August and are now down three months in a row and are down nine of the last 10 months. Over the year, they're off 22.5%. These are big numbers for an economy. Mortgage applications, those are, of course, applications to buy a house, to purchase a house, or to refinance your existing home. Mortgage applications to buy are down 29% year over year. And because interest rates are up so much, nobody's refining. The refi applications are off a huge 83%. Now, when we get to off 100%, that means there's none. Cash from the refis are important because they're often used to buy big ticket items like a car to remodel the house or even to send junior to college. So the 83% fall off in refis is going to have a large impact on those kinds of purchases going forward. We're already seeing a softening in demand for cars. There's a, some of these reporting companies like Redfin. They reported that 21% of homes listed for sale, this is back in July, 21% dropped their asking prices. And the Federal Housing Finance Agency has an index, and it showed that home prices fell not much, but 0.6% in July. So they stopped rising. The most important index that we have of housing prices is called the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. That has been rising 2% a month, consistent, consistent. And finally, it fell in July by a half a percent. This is the first decline in this index since March of 2019. And it's the steepest decline in the index since November of 2011. That's a long time, and that's a big fall. The data points for Case-Shiller are from July. You know, it's now October, so we have August and September numbers, and I suspect that they're going to show price declines in housing too. Builders, so this is the new home category. They have a bloated inventory, and they've been cutting their prices. So prices of new homes for sale by the builders fell 6.3% in August, and they've fallen in three of the last four months. Still, the median price, 436000 is really high, considering that in mid-2020, the median price was three seventy. dollars So the prices have still can fall a long way. 
I think that the housing bubble is actually bigger today than it was in 06, 07. And that bubble burst because the Fred raised interest rates. That's what they're doing now. In 07, when that bubble burst, at that time, the Fed was easing, not tightening. By the way, when that bubble burst, home prices deflated 25%. Yes. So, yeah, I think we're in for some shock there. That's scary. That's a great summary of everything that's going on right now. But thank you so much. It's so helpful to, to have it all together like this. What would you like to leave your viewers with today? The incoming data tells me that the economy has actually already entered a recession. The Fed is clearly ignoring the incoming data, the incoming forward-looking data. And they're concentrating on the backward-looking indicators, like the year-over-year -year rate of inflation and the unemployment rate, which is a backward-looking indicator. And they've become more hawkish now and have told the market they intend to continue to raise interest rates. July and August taken together, the forward-looking numbers or the current numbers show us that the rate of inflation is really zero at this point. And it seems to me like the Fed should recognize this, especially since monetary policy impacts the economy with such long lags. Yet the Fed continues to move forward with increasingly restrictive policy, seemingly impervious to the lags that their prior rate hikes have caused. And in addition, they're now also contracting the money supply, which in the past has always proved to be an indicator of recession. Powell has referenced Paul Volcker several times, both in public statements and in his remarks to Congress. He's held Paul Volcker out as a hero to be emulated. Volcker, of course, did slay the inflation dragon. So we didn't really have much inflation throughout the 90s or the next couple of decades until these characters came on the scene. But when Volcker did slay the inflation dragon, the cost was two significant recessions in the 1980s. Of really importance here is that Volcker knew that monetary policy acts with long lags because he moved the Fed funds rate down. He started lowering interest rates when the year-over-year -year inflation rate was still over 11%. In my view, the continuance of a more restrictive monetary policy is only going to make the recession, which already has started, deeper and longer. All right, thank you again, everyone. I hope this was helpful. Thank you very much for your insight today, Bob. You're welcome. Everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day. Please go to Read and Choose That Today, where we post our videos and our podcast every week. Also, subscribe to the channel on YouTube. You'll have a link below. Thank you so much again for watching and see you next time.